But uh, you are going to Psalm 144. And while I usually ask around what the Pew Bible page number is, if I have to ask for it today, y'all are in trouble. So Psalm 144. It's on page 620, by the way. Page 620. This is a psalm of David, and David sings. Blessed be the Lord, blessed be Yahweh, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose whose mouths speak lies, and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God, upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David his servant from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep Bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. What you've just heard is the inspired and errant word of God. He promises that as it goes forth from His mouth, it will accomplish the purposes for which He has sent it. And so we ask Him that we would be blessed by it, that we would hear it well today. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of the Lord. And again we say, thanks be to God. And so we will begin in verse 1 of Psalm 144. We are continuing our series in the Psalms, and I expect to be wrapping it up soon. Uh, we've not gone through every psalm, of course. It's, it's been, uh, I, it would feel very weird to call it a greatest hits album because there are, are lots of, uh, it's, it's basically just been my, by my selection uh, as things that I've found that have been helpful to sing and uh, even helpful to preach on. Um, but David begins this psalm clearly in a t- what we might say a, a time of war. You, you, you hear of David saying that this God of his, Yahweh, prepares his hands for war. And then later in the psalm, you're hearing uh, pleas for help. And then still later on, you have shalom setting in, peace coming. In other words, the prayers from earlier in the psalm have been answered. So we will begin with the, uh, the initial prayer of the psalm, going to verse 1. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love, my, my covenant love, chesed, and fortress, 
my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield. And so notice the language that's been used so far, right? He trains my hands for war. So there's going to be weapons involved. But then what is God doing? Being fortress, stronghold, deliverer, shield, refuge, subduer of the enemies. There's, so this is all sort of, sort of warlike, either offensive or defensive language. And what David and David is singing to a God that is preparing him for the fight. And so not only that, this God is his shield, right? That's verse two. Steadfast love, fortress, stronghold, deliverer, shield, in whom I take refuge. And what this after this majestic explanation of who God is to David in this time of in this time of war. He then marvels. He takes a moment to, after proclaiming all of God's promises, he marvels. Verse 3, O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? It is a wonder that God cares for us. It is a wonder that God takes care of us. It is a wonder that the sovereign king of the universe concerns himself with the likes of us. Especially when you realize, verse 4, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. This should remind you of Psalm 8, if we can jump there very quickly, where the, where the psalmist again says, uh, what is man? Oh, sorry, did I not order it correctly, Jeremiah? I apologize. We can find our way. Psalm 8 should be in there somewhere. Um, let's see, I'll just find it. Sorry about that. It's not jumping like I thought it would. Oh, there it is. Wonderful. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. And this, this bit, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. This is the same idea that shows up in James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is the next passage where uh, James says, uh, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town, spend a year there, trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Right? No doubt James has Psalm 144 in his mind when he says this. And said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. James's point here is, you are so frail and fragile and temporary, like a, like a vapor, Remember that God is the one who's sovereign over everything, including your carefully laid out plans. David takes things in a bit of a different direction. He says, I'm frail like a vapor, therefore help me. Right? Therefore, the, the, the vapor-like nature of my life is a commentary on how much help I need. Notice David speaks of his strength and then of his frailty. Right? We started with, Blessed be the Lord God who trains my hands for war, right? Yeah, okay. And then my life is a vapor. I'm here. I'm gone. Well, well which is it? Is, are, you, are you made strong? Or, or are, you, are you weak? And David's answer here is yes. Right? We, we tend, I think we tend to be good at talking about one or the other. There is a kind of triumphalism that makes us want to speak of our own strength all the time. And there also is a kind of worm theology, uh, so-called, so that makes us just want to talk about our weakness all the time. Uh, David apparently does both, and really close to each other, by the way, within three verses. 
to say, he, he strengthens me, he prepares me to fight, and my life is a passing vapor, and so I need, I need help. What is man that you're mindful of him? Well, I thought a minute ago you said he was really strong. Well, apparently not strong enough. And so, take from this, dear saints, that you are worth much, and God means to strengthen you, and also at the same time you are exceedingly frail. You are made for strength, therefore cultivate it. And in times of need, remember your weakness and cry out. Indeed, that is what we find in verse 5. A cry for help. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies, whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. David's hands might be ready for war, but did you notice the language? David's hands might be ready for war. God's hands are ready to rock the entire cosmos. Right? He's in control of it all. David, in his need, in his need, in his own need to be reminded of who God is and what God can do for him, asks God to do what only God can do, which is mess, <laughs> mess with the highest parts of all creation. And David's cry is what? What's the whole point and purpose of it? Did you see it? The whole, the whole point and purpose of asking God to do all this, well, we actually haven't gotten there yet, is verse 9, I will sing a new song to you. In other words, David's cry for help and for strength is ultimately so he can worship. Deliver me from liars so that I can worship the God of truth. Verse 9, then we, we get to the song. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a tin-stringed harp I will play to you who gives victory to kings, who rescues David his servant from the cruel sword. Isn't that cool? David put a verse in the song about himself to remind himself that God's going to take care of him. And of course, I mean, if you think of kingship and David as a king, writing as a king, is saying, again, the idea, if you take care of the king, you take care of his people. More on that later. But David looks forward to the day when he will, he's not there yet, but he looks forward to the day when he will write a new song of God's victory over his enemies. Now, there's an easy mistake to make with a text like that and a lot of the new song language in the Psalms, and that is an endorsement of anything that is new. And this is not new for the sake of newness. That it, what I mean is they're like, like, this is getting stale. We need something new, which is usually just a spiritual way of saying, I am bored <laughs> and I need something uh, fresh. It's like changing the TV channel. In the Psalms, a new song is a new song, but there's a reason why they're singing. A new song means a song that commemorates God's most recent victory. Okay? David says he'll make music to God. Remember that this is the same man who says, The Lord readies my hands for war. Now in verse 9, he looks forward to the day when those same hands will pick up a ten-stringed harp and start playing a new song. Why does that matter? Well, I want you to notice the same hands that fight wars and are made ready to fight wars are the same hands that write psalms of victory. 
St. Augustine observed that in the Roman amphitheater, the warrior and the bard were not the same person. The bard, or the entertainment, comes, say, before the battle with the gladiators. And these are separate roles. One guy has a sword, one guy has an instrument. But in God's kingdom, the bards are the soldiers. The poets are the warriors. The choir is the army. And therefore, we sing. Come on, one of you got to amen that. That was so good. It's <laughs> St. Augustine, for heaven's sake. And so, what does this look like then for David? What is, when, this, when, this, uh, when this is fulfilled or actualized, you might say, when this, when this new song sings of God's victory, what will the victory and the peace and the shalom look like? Look at verse 12. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars, cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. We'll stop there. Well, actually, we'll finish it out. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is Yahweh, whose God is the Lord. And so David is looking forward to a day of blessing. And blessing can be an uncomfortable thing for us to talk about because let's be honest, you're working your way through verses 12 through 15 and it would be very easy to say, some of this sounds like prosperity preaching, prosperity gospel-y type stuff. And we, we're, instinctively we're equipped to, to distrust that. And I think that's good, particularly in our day. But one of the things you're going to notice when you start adding the psalms to the stuff you sing is that they are not afraid to talk about the blessing of God in this life. And so we've got to square with that. Even if we only start squaring with it a little bit this morning, it's important because the prosperity gospel nonsense, heresy, and it is both of those things, has ruined our ability to talk well about earthly prosperity, I think. The prosperity gospel, that is the idea that you can either by your giving or by your obedience compel God to give you what you want. Anything from, uh, 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 I don't know, a, a new lease on life, right? So, so to demand healing to a new car, right? And so, and so if, you're, if you're obedient enough with the right kind of obedience and the right kind of practices and the right kinds of methods, and then in some places, the right kinds of prayers, like using the right magic words, then, then God is bound to deliver things to you. That's nonsense. That's heresy. And when we talk about prosperity, we want to remove that from our minds. However, sometimes there is an overreaction to it such that we spiritualize all talk of prosperity. Okay, um, and this came up even when I was preparing for the sermon, uh, going into commentaries. Like, I mean, I mean, we're, we're, you read the language, right? May our may our sons and daughters be like this. May our granaries be full. May our animals uh, have lots of little baby animals. That's basically what David is saying. Uh, you would be amazed at how many commentators just said, "Ah, uh, yeah, this is heavenly blessing." That's how the Christian should read it. It's like, really, I. I'm looking for heavenly blessing. I'm seeing granaries. <laughs> okay? So, 
I, I think that means we've we, we got to square with that, as I said. So what, is, what does blessing look like for David? Well, it looks like a time of peace, first of all, where they're enjoying all these things without the threat of enemies coming down on them. But he starts with sons and daughters. Isn't that interesting? May our sons and their youth be like plants, full grown. In other words, not going off to fight wars. We just prayed about that, didn't we? May our daughters, like corner pillars, cut from the structure of a palace. Right. So he starts with, starts with sons and daughters. And basically he says, our boys will be strong, our daughters will be beautiful. Is that a worldly way to talk? No. <laughs> no, it is not. It's a godly way to talk. Uh, it reminded me of 1 John chapter 2, 14, uh, chapter 2, verse 14. If we can go there now. Yeah, uh, John says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. It also reminded me of Psalm 128, verse 3, to jump back to the Psalter. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive shoots around your table. Right? So this is, this is to, to the men, there's an address of strength. To the women, there's an address of beauty and flourishing. What does this mean? What do we do with this? Well, I'm going to say something that at first might sound really controversial, but I'm just going to ask you to follow me with gentle understanding, okay? Are you ready for this? We might want to pause the live stream, Jeremiah. Sons and daughters are different. <laughs> and... Certain admonishments in the Bible are given to all people without distinction, right? Admonish, admonishments like repent of your sins and believe the gospel. That is not uniquely addressed to men or to women or to children or to pterodactyls, right? It's, it, is, it is given to all people, repent and believe the gospel. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Certain admonishments are, we might say, particularized. There are certain admonishments that are given to men that are not given to women, given to husbands that are not given to wives, to fathers that are not given to mothers, and vice versa, vice versa, vice versa, given to children and to rulers, to, to rich and to poor, to widows and to married, to not yet married and to the chaste and celibate, to leaders and to laity, to governors and to citizens. On and on and on and on and on. God is not afraid. Our, our, our God is not afraid in the Bible to give distinguished admonishments to different groups of people. What that does usually, usually, is reveal uh, particular temptations common to those groups. Right? So the new covenant does not mean that all such distinctions are now gone and we are now all a gray blob of undistinguished blah. Right? The new covenant does mean that the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, there is no distinction that forms a barrier to Christian identity or to fellowship or to baptism. For you were all baptized into one body. Amen? So that when we speak of Jesus breaking down the dividing wall, there's no man-made construct or label that we set up that will sufficiently serve to keep you from joining and becoming part of this covenant family. 
And so what we have in this psalm is a prosperity at the end. It is a, you might say, a distinguished prosperity. There's there's prospering, and this is how it's going for sons, this is how it's going for daughters, this is how it's going for animals, and and for the the city, for for Jerusalem. So I, I note simply that it is a prosperity that begins with families. Which which is where all prosperity really begins, I would say. It has been said uh, that uh, great, great civilizations are, are built by men with mouths to feed. <laughs> right? Prosperity begins in the family. David describes prosperity and blessing of God as first a familial reality. I would even go so far as to say a happy home. So let me put it this way. In times of war which is the first part of the psalm, right? In times of war, victory looks like, well, victory. (laughs) Victory in the war. In times of peace, victory looks like healthy, happy households. Prosperity looks like sons who will grow up to be strong. Right? So let, let me address the young men then. Young men, did you know that God calls you to strength? What we just read in 1 John earlier. He says, young men, you are strong. What a, I mean, what a beautiful encouragement to the young men in that congregation to say, take this strength that God has given you, right? And I'm, I'm, admittedly, I'm interpreting here a bit. Take, you are strong, therefore take that strength and do something godly with it, not something destructive with it. Proverbs 20, 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength. So it's good for a young man to grow up strong. I know there's lots of talk today of toxic masculinity. And as I said earlier, there are sins common to men and they can take the shape of abusive dominance or passive weakness. But the blessing of God, as, as in the psalm, is when young men take that strength and do something with it to grow up like strong trees. I'm not making that up. That's in the text. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown. This should remind you of Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man and so on. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Now, walk that out. If prosperity for a young man is to be like a tree planted by streams of water, what do trees do? They get big, they get strong, they get leafy, and they provide shade, right? They provide shade. And so, sorry, I lost my, I lost my spot. I was doing so well. Um, right, and so uh, that's because of the page turned. Sorry about that. What, so what do trees do when they're strong? They provide shade. They give out comfort and care and help and provision. They, in other words, not to take the metaphor too far, they serve and bless their neighbors, with all of the strength that God has given them, right? And daughters, let's look at what he says about daughters. They grow up like corner pillars. Your translation, if you've got a different one, might have corner stones, interestingly. Cut for the structure of a palace. Uh, And then I think the King James says, cut for the beauty of the palace. As the daughters grow up as cornerstones. Notice strength language is used here also. Nobody thinks of a cornerstone and thinks weakness, right? Holds up, right? Strength language is used here also. It is the strength of sturdy and beautiful support, decorated in the manner of a palace, the text says. So what happens when the women of Israel are the strong and beautiful cornerstones of their home? Well, 
What do cornerstones do? They hold the place together. Right? They hold the place together. Uh, one of the... Re- one, uh, uh, when, um, and, and then what is the result? Homes are, homes are held together like cornerstones cut for the structure of a palace. Right? Beauty, beauty language being used here. Homes are held together. And when homes are held together, what happens? Well, when you've got a cornerstone in place and you know it's not going to fall, right? it's not gonna, nobody's going to give it a little kick and the whole place is going to come down, well, that's a, that's a comfortable place to live. Things are lighter and brighter and, and even bigger. When Marissa and I moved from our house in the Garden District to the manse across the street, um, I, I, I do confess to you it was an adjustment for a number of reasons. One of them, and this is not a complaint, it's just a reality, that the manse was smaller. And so all of a sudden we were like, we have a lot of junk, <laughs> right? There's, there's not enough room in the house for all of our junk. We have to do something about that. And I have been amazed by how Marissa has made the place feel bigger than it actually is. Brighter than it might otherwise be by the way she turns it into a home and makes it feel, dare I say it, like a palace, as Psalm 144 says. What I want to observe is that the connection of the sons and daughters, this, this connection between the sons and daughters of Israel and their strength and steadiness and the actual prosperity and, and shalom, peace of Israel. Here's my point. When it comes to families flourishing under the love of Jesus together, worshiping together, loving God together, growing together, rejoicing together. There is a temptation, a, a kind of in, in a church context, for us to want to get on to the next big thing. Like, yeah, 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 we, yeah okay, yeah, we know, we know, Pastor Ron. Family worship, family discipleship, husbands and wives and children, blah, 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 blah. Can, can we get on to the really exciting stuff? So that we can see the kingdom of God and, and shalom and peace in our city and our nation and indeed in all the nations. And God, as it were, picks up a handful of dirt in your backyard and says, your shalom starts right here. Now, does anything come after that? Yes. Yes. I'm saying where it starts, not where it ends. That's where it starts. What comes after? Well, good news, pretty much everything else in the text that we've just said. It doesn't end there, but it it starts there. And And look what we have. We have a table full of food. We have sheep that are full of Baby sheep, lambs, lambs those are called. Uh, the, yeah, sorry, the, 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 the oxen get so loaded up so much that they get in the way. Did you, did you catch that? May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in their bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. And some translations handle that as, uh, and this is just kind of funny to me, some translations handle that as, as chaos in the streets, like, like think rioting and such. And some translations think of it as the, the chaos that comes from when there are too, mu- too many cattle in the, in the roads. <laughs> so that, you know, so that yes, the cattle are full of young and now there are cattle everywhere. Okay, so, so we want the blessing, but sometimes we want organization that goes with it. And so the streets are quiet. That's the, that's the point, is there's a, there's a growing quiet in the streets. No rioting and turmoil in the streets. Not mostly peaceful, but actually peaceful. Here's the point. God does not blush to promise his people blessing. And we have to swear with that. God does not blush to speak of blessing to his people. 
Now, I will be honest. As I said, a lot of the commentaries immediately spiritualize this with almost breathtaking shamelessness. We are sometimes afraid to sing about the God who blesses us, but he's not afraid to speak that way of himself. Now, this does not mean that we demand our blessing or claim our blessing or declare our blessing. This is an invitation to believe in a God who delights to bless and prosper. Here's why. Because what is the alternative? The alternative, at least on the other extreme, we might say, is a God who loves to leave you empty-handed. And that will be a God that you fear in the worst sort of way and that you hide from, that you cannot trust, because this is a God that likes to play games with me and to kick me around. But we recognize that God says in his word that he delights to bless his people. Now, here's, here's where the New Testament brings into light some things for us, and that is uh, uh, pretty clear, especially in First Peter, several points at First Peter. The idea is that sometimes the blessing comes through the suffering, not in spite of it. And that's a, that's a lesson that's so hard to learn that God gave us churches of people so that we could so that we could carry each other through those things. But we recognize that God loves to bless His people, and the more that we are a people of the Bible and a people of the Psalms, the more those songs about God's blessings are going to be ringing in our ears, right? The more that our hearts will be reoriented to hope in the God who does all things well. But on a basic human level, right? When you pray as we do, dear saints, for daily bread, what are you saying? You're praying that God would give you a competent and necessary portion of all you need for this life. And then in some places in his word, he says, I'm going to give you more than that so that you can turn that back into praise. And indeed we do. And indeed we do. There are seasons of trouble. There are seasons of trouble. Where do I get that idea? Oh, I don't know. How about the first half of the psalm? Right? The whole first half of the psalm is, I'm in trouble, please help. And so, so don't imagine that it's just the second half of the psalm that I'm saying is going to define your life before God. There are seasons of trouble, and there are seasons of blessing. But I love how the psalm ends. Did you notice it? Verse 15. So if there was any question, even though you have this, this glorious picture that God is not afraid to talk about earthly prosperity, you have blessed through the people to whom such blessings fall, which seems kind of redundant. And then the last word is blessed are the people whose God is is the Lord. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. In other words, ultimate prosperity, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate gladness in this life is the fruit of being God's people. There's been this progression through the psalm, right? Everything was low, right? Trains my hands for battle. That's an encouragement, but that means I've got to fight. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, rip open the heavens. Come down and help. Then the, then the next step up, you might say, is this, this let, let all these glorious things happen. Bless our sons, bless our daughters, bless our cattle, bless the streets of our city. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. So there's this upward progression that's happening that's meant to reach its, its high point in verse 15. So what do we do with this? What are some, just some applications that we can make with this before we go to the table together? 
I think verse 1 is a perfectly reasonable thing. Verse 1 and 2, perhaps, to, to pray, right? Lord, prepare my hands for fighting. <laughs> much of that war, much of the war language gets spiritualized in the New Testament. I think that's right. That's good. I don't think that takes away, by the way, from, say, the responsibility of husbands and fathers to be ready to use that physical strength that we talked about to protect themselves or their families. But that's not the target of this sermon. I want to emphasize that any fight, including your spiritual ones, beloved, requires training. That's where I want to put the emphasis. He starts with, isn't it interesting? He doesn't start with, um, Lord, wipe out this enemy. Lord, give me protection. He does. Talks about God as his shield and his refuge and his fortress and so on. But he starts with saying, Lord, give me the right kind of training. My, my rock, give me the right kind of training for what's ahead. When I was going through the ordination process, I remember the whole thing being a rather kind of terrifying and humbling experience. And there were well-meaning friends of mine who would often say to me, well, be encouraged, Brian. You know, he doesn't... He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Well, man, then why are we even doing this? <laughs> right? I'm called, let's go, let's just sign me up. Why not do this whole process? It's, I, I get the encouragement behind it, but lest we forget, the New Testament does include a list of qualifications, right? For elders and for deacons. Paul does not say, choose from among you men who have a really strong sense of internal calling that they should get the job and they'll just figure it out. He says, here are the guys you should look for. They look like this, right? What's my point? We, we talk a lot about spiritual warfare and so we should. It's one of the central, I would say, like most important themes of the New Testament. But we should speak of training for the fight just as often training for the fight what are we doing to ready ourselves for for he who is smarter than us speaking of our enemy right your enemy the devil not only does he prowl around like a roaring lion but he's had a few thousand years of experience at it he's much smarter than you training happens then through reading the word through prayer oh through prayer through singing through, through what I like to call meaningful, vulnerable fellowship, right? So not, not just being in one another's presence, which is super important and necessary, but talking as we're in one another's presence, right? Whether it's about sin, struggle, hope, uh, thanksgiving, all these kinds of things. Meaningful, vulnerable fellowship and simple acts of love. Simple acts of love, right? Don't overthink it. <laughs> Perhaps most importantly for our individualistic context, also, going to your leaders for help when you need help doing any of those things well. The things I just listed. Reading your Bible, prayer, fellowship, simple acts of love, right? Let, let, your, let your elders help you in that. So, so preparing, preparing for the war... By saying he, he trains my hands for battle, pray that the Lord would, would train your heart for, for what's ahead of you, which he knows, but you don't. And then number two, plan to sing of what God might do, 
right? So when David says, think about this. David says, he speaks of all the trouble and the trial and the difficulty and the uh, 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 Lord, Lord, please help. He's crying out for help. And then he says, I will sing to you a new song, okay? Not, I've already written the new song and I'm going to sing it now because the, the, the deliverance hasn't come yet, right? He says, I'm going to sing to you a new song. So I'm, I'm going to reckon he already has, has it in mind as like what he's going to sing. He says a, a ten-stringed harp is going to be necessary. So he has some some sense of what kind of, of song it's going to be. And so let me put it this way. Have you thought of what song you're going to sing when you see the gospel of Jesus triumph over the darkness that pervades our city? Have you thought of what song you're going to sing when God restores your marriage? Young people who are going to college soon, have you thought of what songs you're going to sing when temptation comes to your door with a force five times that of anything you've ever experienced before because you're just not as protected as you were at home? Have you given any thought to asking the Lord to train your hands for that war that's ahead? Have you asked your parents or your elders or your pastor how to fight that fight? Or are you just figuring you'll be fine? Moms and dads, have you thought of what song you're going to sing when your prodigal comes home? Have you thought about it? So what do we do with a psalm like this? How does it ready our hands for the work that lies ahead? First, we should see something that I haven't talked about yet, and that's that this is a messianic psalm. It might not seem like one, but it is. I thought they all were, Brian. Yes, they all are. David sings about his people in a kind of exile, surrounded by lying enemies. Did you notice that? Twice there was, um, let's see, stretch out your hand from on high, rescue me and deliver me from the many waters. Uh, Verse 8, their mouths speak lies, whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Literally in Hebrew, their right hand tells lies. Okay. So, surrounded by lying enemies... He cries out to God in the midst of darkness. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? As familiar as the Son of God, surrounded by his lying enemies, cries out to God in the midst of his darkness, asking God to split open the heavens, asking God to split the curtain that divides the inaccessible heavenly places from this mortal coil. He cries out to God saying, tear open the heavens and come down to dispel this darkness and what will be the result when God Almighty comes down he will reach out his hand and deliver he will be like a new Noah story so when David sings uh, rescue me and deliver me from the many waters here comes our Lord Jesus as a new Noah story delivering his people from the flood uh, from the flood waters of death He will be like a new Moses delivering his people through the waters and out of the hands of lying Pharaoh and all his army. And from that, victory and triumph will flow a new song. Indeed, out of it will flow a new covenant. And we will sing, blessed indeed are the people whose God is the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. So our Father, we thank you for this word. And I I thank you for the ways that uh, 
You encourage us. You make us unafraid. Unafraid. Even to ask that in this time of economic uncertainty and what I would just call economic strangeness and unpredictability, that you would prepare our hands to give. Prepare our hands so that with the gifts you've given us, we might faithfully love our neighbors. Prepare us, Lord, to be, as it were, like strong trees planted by streams that bear fruit in season and that provide shade for those who are under the oppressive heat of the scorching sun. This will happen by your grace alone. So we ask for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.